Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Well, I hope that you're memorizing that because uh, one of my greatest fears has come true. Not that Pastor Tom is in Hermanus now, but that since he is in Hermanus, I get quizzed on things like the vision of Mountain View. And so um, you also will be quizzed and it will be marked and you will be judged accordingly. Oh, no, no. You will receive reward accordingly and judged accordingly. (laughs) Well, the passage has been read for us, and we're going to keep reading it as we go along. Um, Look, one of my favorite television shows, now don't worry, this was a long time ago, and so it's it's not a fresh wound that I have, okay? But one of my favorite television shows um, was canceled. And it was canceled for a lot of reasons. Uh, But it wasn't because it was a bad show. It wasn't because the acting was bad or the music was bad or the time slot was bad or anything like that. It was actually just hard to understand. And it wasn't even a mystery, okay? It was just that each week built on the week before it. Okay, so when you got to week six, if you wanted to jump into the show, not a chance. Not a chance. You had no idea what was going on. And um, unfortunately, that's where I've brought us in 1 Peter as well. (laughs) I've internalized one of my favorite television shows. And each week has been building off of the last, and it's going to keep doing that. I actually can't control it. But if I attempt... To go back, and the, old, the show, it used to always say at the beginning of every week, um, not even previously on Crime Story, because previously would mean last week, it would say something like, up to this point in Crime Story. And then it would, it would go through all the episodes thus far, okay? Um, so I could do that. I could say last time and one Peter, but I'm going to start losing everybody. I know that, and so I'm just going to review last week and not the other seven weeks that came before that, all right? Um, And last time when we were in 1 Peter, uh, here's here's what we were looking at, or one of the things we looked at was this, that we are servants or slaves of God. Uh, We are not servants or slaves to any human institution, although an institution, uh, the government or whatever, might think that. Uh, We said it like this, that when we become Christians, we don't escape from service. That's not what our freedom does, but we do change masters. That's what we were talking about last week, and that has set us up for what it is that we're going to be talking about this week. But let me just pray real quick again as um, we go into the Word. Lord, we love you. Help me to speak clearly. Uh, Give us all the ears to listen that we need, the eyes to see your word that we need. Lord, we will thank you for that. And I pray that uh, everything that comes out of today will result in us praising your name. Amen. So this week, here's what we're looking at. Here's our big idea for week nine. 
Jesus was the suffering servant. Okay, he was a servant and he suffered. You too have been called to suffer in service to God. In fact, that's exactly what you have been handpicked to be a part of. So let's just get started. Verse 18, servants. Okay, so that's you and that's me. Throughout this next section, Peter's going to be talking about us as Christians, as servants. Um, it's going to represent all Christians, but don't be confused, okay? That doesn't mean that he wasn't also speaking to servants, okay? <laughs> in fact, he was speaking to servants, um, which we'll get to in just a second. But he says this, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, we talked about this last week, uh, but there are four things that every Christian should be doing in their social lives or in their worldly lives, as it were. Uh, they should honor everyone. That is to say that we should treat everyone as they are, made in the image of God. Show everyone the respect that they are due because God has made them unique from the rest of creation. Love the brotherhood. That is, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Fear God, which we'll touch on a bit later. And then lastly, honor the emperor. The same thing that's said about everyone else. The emperor or a leader may think or claim to be God, and yet he is simply made in the image of God like everybody else, and we show them the respect that we show an image bearer like ourselves. But now we see here that slaves are to respect their masters, have all respect for their masters, in fact. Another way that this phrase could be said is have a healthy fear of your masters. Um, have a healthy fear of disapproving, of disapproval or disappointment. Literally, that you want your master to know that you are faithful, that you're trustworthy, that you're a diligent worker. Obviously, this is what has been asked of us last week in verse 16 when we read, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Right? So we're declared there that we are servants of God, God is our master, and that we are not to get involved in evil things and say that we have freedom to do that because of Jesus. Um. But who, who are these slaves that we're talking about? Are they just every Christian, or are they specific Christians in the church as well? Uh, it's both, okay? <laughs> um, and it seems like that it's important for us to draw a picture of who these people are, though, so that we don't come into the text with a wrong idea, okay? Uh, so these slaves that Peter is writing to, these servants, are household slaves, or household servants, and in fact, so this week and next week, we're going to be talking about the household. Just like last week, we talked about the culture at large, us in our worldly lives, our social lives. Um, but don't be confused into thinking that this is just a job. Okay? This is forced labor that these people are doing. Um, and they have no other choice. Now, it might be a little bit different than what we think of today. A slave could be a doctor could be a nurse, could be a teacher, could be a farm manager, could be a salesman, a bookkeeper, 
someone who does hard labor, a wet nurse or a nanny, a cleaner, no matter what their role is, they have expectations put on them. There's a task that they're supposed to be doing, and they're supposed to be showing honor to the head of the household through that task. Uh, This means that they are to represent the head of the household. That is, they do what the head of the household likes them to do. Okay? Um, On top of that, whether they are in the home or if they're at their home, if they live separately or they're out in the world running errands, they're supposed to act like their master would want them to act. They're literally representing their master in the world. Um, They are to love their masters. And they're also to love what their master loves. They are also to worship the gods that their master worships. Alright, so... This idea of a slave is a little bit different, at least me, coming from an American context where slavery, slavery looked a lot different. Some of the implications were the same, but people were treated very differently all the time as opposed to some of the time. But this whole idea of being what your master wants you to be, worshiping what your master wants you to worship, this is where things start to get interesting. Because Peter's now writing to slaves or servants that are Christians. But before we go there, why would a slave be attracted to following Christ? If their master isn't doing it, why would they be attracted to following Jesus? Um, Because even in that day when Peter's writing, Christians knew that slaves, servants, even the lowest people in society were made in the image of God. They knew that they were made in the image of God, and in fact, that Jesus had a lot in common with those slaves or servants. Unlike the Greek law or Roman law that would have said that these people can't be citizens, that these people can't do this, that, and the other thing, Christians would have disagreed with that. Um... But a Christian knows something else, okay? And that is that this, this connection to Jesus. And let's keep exploring the text here a little bit. Be subject with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, this word unjust does a lot for our understanding of this verse here, okay? Uh, throughout all of time, and maybe your mind's already jumped there. Throughout all of time, this verse, since it's been written, has been used to justify evil things. Uh, it has been used, it's been taken out of its context and used to keep oppressed people in a place of oppression. Uh, some e- have even argued, and most honest people don't do this anymore, that Peter and Paul that they also thought that this was true because they didn't want Christianity to raise a stink in the culture that it was moving into, right? Peter, they would have said that Peter and Paul just wanted everything to be normal so that uh, the, the gospel could go out without causing any problems. Uh, they would have said that, um, some, or some people would have argued that uh, Peter and Paul even wanted this evil place to grow, no matter what the cost, 
so that Christianity could grow along with it. Um, And if someone wanted to make that jump, they would have to ignore that word unjust. All right? We can't be fooled here. We have to remember that Peter is a part of God's first people, the Jews. Uh, And Jews knew better than anyone that God had a moral standard. That is that God determined what is right and wrong. And we know this looking at the entirety of the, all of the Old Testament, okay? Um, maybe starting off with Cain. Uh, now, Cain sinned, okay, but was his sin really that much worse than Adam and Eve's sin? Look, when God approaches Cain, he doesn't say, hey, Cain, why'd you do that? He says, Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the earth, Right? This is, this is something that's coming from God's heart to say that someone's blood is crying out to him, right? So there's an injustice that's taking place there. We could look at Sodom and Gomorrah, and yes, they had a sexual ethic that was not good, right? There was some bad stuff happening, but that wasn't it. That wasn't all it. All of the culture was corrupt. They were taking advantage of the poor and oppressed, of the outsider, of the foreigner, as well as all these other things, simply said their hearts were far away from God. And evil was coming from them instead of goodness. We could look at the judges, we could look at Saul and David and all the kings, and look at the moral failure that's there, okay? Um, Which all leads to the prophets. And when we get to the prophets, we have... Them speaking the very words of God, calling out God's people on their injustice and their lack of love for God, which go hand in hand. Okay, so don't be fooled. Uh, Peter's not condoning any sort of injustice here. Uh, In fact, when Peter says that this is unjust, he's saying that it is evil and that it goes against God. Now, Peter's not falling in line with the thinking of the day. He's calling it what it is, morally evil and against God. Verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Okay, now this, to me, is a really hard verse to understand. Um, Because it actually is a complex verse, okay? And we could just go over it and acknowledge that it is true and that is good. But let's let's try to state it in a slightly different way without taking any of the power away, okay? Uh, we We could maybe say it like this. When you are suffering and you are full of sorrow because of injustice and you have your mind fixed on God, who he is and what he has done, and you are resting on the hope that you have in Jesus, then God will give you the grace, the special unearned favor that you need to keep you going. Right? What is, what is grace? Unearned favor from God. Something that we don't deserve from God. And Peter is saying here that when we are suffering when we are in hardship, 
and we keep our mind fixed on God and what he has done and we lean on Jesus, God will give us the grace that we need, the special favor that we need to keep going. This grace that we receive while suffering is a special kind of grace, okay? And that might, that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Wait a second, we've all received grace. Why does anyone get a special kind of grace? Um, we'll go there. We'll go there in just a minute. Uh, verse 20. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Uh, now look. Again, Peter's not saying that anyone should be beat for acting wrongly. But Peter is living in the world along with these Christians that he's writing to. And he knows the laws and rules of the Roman government. He knows that they're unjust and evil, but if you have displeased your master, if you have um, done something that goes against his household, then they would have the right, according to Roman law, to hurt you. To verbally abuse you, to physically abuse you, whatever the case may be. But again, Peter's not saying that that is okay. It does relate back to chapter 2, verse 16, though. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Uh, simply to say this, that you cannot do something that is against the household, uh, speaking to the servants here, speaking to the slaves, you can't do something that's against the household and then, or that is against the law or wrong according to Scripture, and then use your freedom to say, oh man, I'm being abused, it's awful. You can't do that. But Peter's also saying that what is happening to you is wrong. Um, along with that, though, we see in the book of uh, Philemon, Philemon, that uh, in the same church, there are masters and there are slaves. Okay, so this gets a little bit touchy. We could even say that this verse could be spoken to a master, right? To say, hey, look, just because it goes with the Roman law that you're allowed to beat someone that works for you or verbally abuse someone that works for you doesn't mean that you should do that. That would be using your freedom to cover up evil. Okay, so it goes both ways there. Uh, but if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now I'm going to use a couple big words real quick. We're not going to stick with the big words. I just really like the big words, okay? <laughs> There's one theologian that calls what we're talking about here in 1 Peter, redemptive, unearned suffering, Okay? Now, again, we don't need to use that term. I'll back away from it. But simply saying this, uh, Peter is saying to the Christians here that this suffering actually has nothing to do with you. If you're doing good, it has nothing to do with you. You don't deserve it. You haven't earned it, right? When I'm sometimes, uh, I don't have to do it as much anymore, but when Finnegan was little, you know, he would earn treats, but then we would talk about deserving getting his bottom whacked, okay? Uh, but he couldn't put the two things together. 
Okay? So then I would always talk to him and say, You're, you earned a treat. And then if it was the other way, I would say, okay, you earned getting your bottom smacked. Okay? <laughs> um, so this suffering here is not something that Christians are earning or deserving. Uh, Peter is saying that the suffering has nothing to do with you. It may have something to do with your faith, and it might not. It may just have to do with evil people, and, now hear me, okay, you may be suffering for no reason. Whoa, you can't say that. You can't say that. Okay, let's not say that then. Christian, slave, servant, employee, domestic worker, person who is judged for the way that they look or the way that they act or for no good reason at all. Except for the fact that people can be unjust and there is evil in the world. We got to know this as Christians. Jesus gives our suffering purpose. Jesus gives our suffering purpose. If we are doing good, if we are showing Jesus to the world around us through hard work and enduring hardships, uh, you are doing good, okay? (laughs) If you're showing Jesus to the world through hard work and enduring hardship, you are doing good. And this is a special kind of grace in your life. That is to say that if you're going through suffering the way that God wants you to, you are more fully glorifying God, okay? You are more fully glorifying God than you would be without the suffering in your life. You are experiencing something of the life of Christ that makes you more complete than those who suffer nothing, okay? Uh, So when we hear things like believing in Jesus would get us something other than Jesus, uh, we're avoiding suffering, okay? When we hear that our lives will be blessed with things, that is not what Peter's saying. That's not what God's Word is saying. But we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus gives our suffering purpose and that we are more fully glorifying God in our suffering than those who suffer nothing. Okay, so uh, if you work in a home or uh, you are a day laborer or you know anyone that is, then you are someone that leads the way in helping your brothers and sisters in Christ understand what the Christian life should look like as a servant. Okay, let me say that one more time. Uh, If you work in a home, if you've ever worked as a day laborer, or if you are interacting with someone who is or does that, you are important to the body of Christ because you are teaching the body of Christ something that it needs to know according to Scripture. We need to know what Christ's suffering is like, what unearned suffering is like.
look, in the Christian faith, the most lowly person in society is lifted up because of Jesus. And now, if you're hearing me say those things and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not tracking with you, I think that maybe you're pulling all of this out of a hat somewhere and it has nothing to do with the text. Let's dig a little bit deeper, okay? You ready to dig a little bit deeper? Verse 21. For to this you have been called. To what? Suffering. To suffering you have been called. And, on top of that, suffering well. God's grace and the building up of the body of Christ by glorifying God in a way that will be looked upon with honor by other Christians. Okay? You have been called to suffer and to suffer well. And those that suffer in the body of Christ, much like Jesus, who suffered and was, uh, <laughs> is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Okay? Those that suffer are raised up in the church. In fact, we should honor those that suffer. For to this you have been called, because Jesus also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. All right, now, I have a nature about me, and it's a sin nature, uh, filtered through Wade, okay? Um, And here's the deal. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear that. Because what I want to do is I want to fight everything. Everyone and everything, I just want to fight it, okay? But that's not what we're being called to here. Um, In fact, Peter's specifically saying, you have not been called to overthrow the Roman Empire. Okay? Now, as we see in Philemon, Philemon, um, when you have a master and a slave in a church, and there was an issue, and they are reconciled, and they are seen as equals, this is going to cause major problems in a society that says people are down here, and then other people are up here, and they have to stay that way. The church is leveling people out, and that is going to cause major problems in a society. And yet, Peter's not saying that you're here to overthrow the Roman government, right? Or or Mugabe, or Zuma, or Trump, okay? We're not called to overthrow these institutions. Uh, We're not called to overthrow our masters. Uh, We're not called to, uh, you know, throw our employers in the ditch or or someone that treats us like a slave or a servant. We are to follow in Christ's example. Uh, Not to please a human master, although that happens because of what we're doing. We're pleasing God by following in Christ's footsteps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, that is when he was physically abused, verbally abused, when he was mocked, when his clothes were ripped off of him and sold, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Okay. But continue entrusted him, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 
Keep having faith. You, you must keep having faith. You must keep entrusting yourself to God. Okay? Because suffering without faith really is as pointless as suffering seems. It really is as pointless as suffering seems. Um, without faith, you will suffer in vain. Without faith, uh, you will suffer for no purpose. Suffering will be pointless, uh, will be as pointless as those that don't understand who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Okay? Do we have any examples of this? Okay, well, we're, we're seeing one example, right? The suffering servant, Jesus. But we have another suffering servant in Scripture. Uh, Job, right? Well, the first story in the Bible to be written down, Job. And what happens? Awful things happen to Job. Awful things do. And then, each time something awful happens, he says, I have faith. It's okay. I'm entrusting myself to God. I'm entrusting myself to God. I'm entrusting myself to God. And then, when it seems like Job is going to break, what happens? God steps in. All right? Now, a lot of us look at this, or we've been taught in the past that this is a weakness on Job's part. Oh, yeah, he had faith, and then he just gave up. No, no. He had faith, and then he had faith, and then he had faith, and then he got weak, just like you and I get weak. And then what happened? God came in and rescued him. He gave him a reason to have faith again in the midst of his suffering. He gave his suffering purpose. Now, obviously, our faith should be in God, like Job's was, to the one who judges justly. And let's just say it, this makes everything make more sense in our world. This helps us to understand why Jesus can hang on a cross and he can say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus could suffer because Jesus knows that God is the judge who judges justly. This is why, and this is actually where that phrase, redemptive, unearned suffering, comes from. Uh, this is why in my country, a man named Martin Luther King Jr., who was eager to preach nonviolence, and everyone always says, well, he got that from Gandhi. No. He got his strategy from Gandhi, that's true. But he got his theology from the Bible, okay? He got his theology from Jesus when it comes to this. He was a Baptist minister. I always like to throw that in. This is why Peter's hearers were able to keep on living. Uh, this is why we can wake up and go to work tomorrow. This is why we can be mistreated and pray for our enemy. Because we don't have to be the judge. Now, we could say sometimes when we're angry, I don't get to be the judge of this, right? But you don't have to be the judge. That should be a relief to you. That's a lot of weight to bear. There is one and only one that judges justly. And luckily, that same person that judges justly understands exactly what our suffering is like. Because God himself, in Jesus Christ the Son, suffered as we suffer. He himself bore 
our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, for we were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Okay, a couple, four things here real quick, all right? Four things that we just want to observe from this. Now, interestingly enough, this does come from the passage that Stephen Robin read for us earlier, Isaiah 53. Um, some of it's direct quotations, some of it's just the thought from Isaiah 53. But here's the really interesting part, okay? Uh, this is actually the only place in Scripture where we look at Isaiah 53 and we say, yep, it's about Jesus. This is the only place in Scripture that this is specifically pointed out as being about Jesus. Uh, we see it with the Ethiopian eunuch as well, but it's veiled there. And this is the only specific quoting of Isaiah 53 um, that we get in the New Testament as it pertains to Jesus. So two things that Jesus did not do, and we should not do. Jesus did not commit sin at all, but in his suffering. He did not sin in his suffering. Also, Jesus did not fight back with his words or his fists in his suffering. Jesus did do two things for us, though, here. He did take all of our sin upon himself. And he did make us whole by allowing himself to be broken. He made us whole by allowing himself to be broken. Jesus took on and became our sin so that we could die to sin, that we could turn away from our sin and turn to Christ, turn to righteousness, to the righteousness that we've been given because of him. We've been made whole by his suffering, and we no longer have to turn to our sin to find comfort, to find freedom, to find justice. We turn to Jesus for that. You can know that because of Jesus' actions on the cross, you have a shepherd who will guide you, and you have a guardian that will protect you. What does that last little bit have to do with suffering, though? Sure, Jesus is our example, okay? Let's go a little bit deeper with this idea of suffering and him being our shepherd, our overseer. You have been handpicked by God. If we haven't gotten that out yet in 1 Peter, you've been handpicked by God. And you are an outsider in this place away from your eternal home with Him. Suffering unjustly in faithfulness, that is because of your faith or with faithfulness to Christ, is evidence that like your Savior was, you too have been handpicked by God. You have been set aside. And you are or you can experience the grace of God in a unique way by sharing in the suffering of Christ. In the midst of that suffering, you have a shepherd and a guardian who is keeping for you an inheritance that can never be taken away. It can never be ruined and it will never weaken. 
Christian, when we suffer, when we share in Jesus' sufferings, we experience the grace of God in a special way. Jesus did die because he was claiming to be the Messiah, and this was a threat. Jesus also died for no good reason, right? He suffered unjustly. You will reflect God's glory in a more whole and a complete way when you suffer because of that. Let me pray for us. God, in your kindness, you handpicked us to share in your eternal glory through the person and work of Jesus. We know, Father God, that after we suffer a while, you will restore us. You will support us and you will strengthen your people. You will place us on a firm foundation. God, to you, the all power forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. And remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.